Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Tom Babor. He is an addiction researcher and professor in the Yukon School of Medicine's Department of Public Health Sciences. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. We are here to talk about gambling. Of course, the deal announced recently between the Lamont administration and the state's two federally recognized casino-owning tribes is working its way through the General Assembly, expected to pave the way for electronic gaming, so on your smartphone and computer, and also sports betting. Dr. Babor, let's start first with your reaction to this deal announced by the entities involved. It's the result of years of negotiations between the tribes and the state, and it runs 10 years and calls for new taxes on both sports betting and online gaming. Well, you know, uh, the devil's in the details, and this agreement is not final as I understand it, and it's likely uh, or it's necessary to send it to the state legislature, which uh, will have to look at it closely. But the general idea of uh, increasing the availability of sports betting, making that legal, and internet gambling uh, needs to be looked at in the context of a trend, which is very disturbing, of the increase of gambling opportunities in general. And when that happens in a state or a country, there tends to be an increase not only in the amount of money wagered, but also in the proportion of people who experience serious problems. So the real risk here is that it's going to contribute to a trend of liberalization and increased availability of gambling, which will increase the uh, amount of gambling problems that are experienced in the state of Connecticut. Some of the proponents have argued for years now that there's already been sports betting taking place in Connecticut. It's just been illegal, and and this allows the government to sanction it and and bring it uh, into the light where it can be regulated. How do you respond to that? Well, it depends on whether the regulation is meaningful and impactful. And secondly, that assumption may not be entirely correct. Uh, When internet gambling, for example, was made 
legal in countries like France, there was an increase in the overall amount of gambling and gambling problems in uh, in the country. So over the course of a couple of years after 2010, they monitored uh, problem gambling and found not only was more money spent, uh, but more people developed problem gambling or problems with their gambling. Now, you, along with an international group of researchers, actually wrote a book on gambling policy and the impact of problem gambling. What were some of your other conclusions? Well, the group that I worked with came from about seven or eight different countries, people who had spent their careers as social scientists, psychiatrists, and other people working uh, on gambling issues. And what we did was reviewed the world literature on what is known about the problems connected with gambling and how to regulate it. And one of the first conclusions we drew from our global review of the scientific evidence is that there has been a dramatic expansion throughout the world in gambling opportunities since the 1980s. And over this period, there have been a a liberalization of traditional restrictions and a change in moral attitudes in the past, it was considered sinful and and people frowned upon gambling. Those attitudes have changed dramatically. So we've got an increase in opportunities, uh, liberalization of controls, and uh, uh, we've got more people uh, developing gambling problems, more people participating in gambling activities, particularly in the high income countries, but also in Asia. Uh, And uh, what we've also found is that there's been a proliferation of much more harmful types of gambling opportunities or games from uh, the transition from slot machines to uh, electronic uh, gambling uh, uh, gaming machines to um, uh, instant lotteries and things like that. So we're entering a period of a perfect storm where more and more opportunities to engage in more and more addictive types of gambling uh, gambling opportunities is uh, creating what may be Uh, a serious burden on the health of the population. We've seen this evolution of gambling right here in Connecticut. You start with the lottery and then you go to Greyhound racing and and High Lie in the 80s and then the opening of the the casinos in in the early 90s. What do you think is behind that? Is, Is it social evolution? What else is at play here? Well, you know, we've seen this occurring with uh, drugs and alcohol, you know, uh, legalization of, of, uh, of uh, medical cannabis and now uh, the consideration of, uh, of uh, recreational use. So, you know, uh, a lot of it is driven in part by just changing attitudes, but it also it is also the inability of politicians to um, raise taxes and 
um, there's a belief that you can raise revenues for worthy causes by taxing sinful behavior, which uh, in the past sin taxes have been levied on alcohol and tobacco. Uh, and in some cases, when those taxes are levied, they have had an impact in reducing consumption in the case of cigarettes. But we've got all these trends coming together. And the, the main thing is that um, when uh, opportunities for gambling are increasing, uh, we're likely to experience problem. And now uh, the, the, the challenge is to weigh the benefits of versus the cost to society. And it's a little different with gambling compared to alcohol or cigarettes because those were items that were already on the market and politicians decide to, to increase taxes on them to bring in more revenue. But in in the case of something like sports betting in Connecticut, that's that's not legal. It's not as if you're just raising a tax on something that already exists. Right. And here the argument is it would raise revenues and uh, it's already being done. But as I mentioned, the the little amount of research that is available on what happens when you introduce um, sports betting and, and internet gambling legally is uh, that it uh, just increases the uh, demand for gambling in general. So uh, it's not going to necessarily uh, uh, be neutral in terms of just capturing the people who are already doing it, more people may be introduced to gambling. And the, the real risk here is young people. Expand on that. Well, for example, with internet gambling, uh, what we know, again, from not a whole lot of research, because all of this stuff is new and it takes, you know, four or five years for people who study these kinds of things to become, uh, to be able to understand what their impact is. But uh, with internet gambling, what we do know from some countries is that uh, it attracts uh, more highly educated people uh, who are uh, computer literate, obviously smartphones and things like that. So the damage may be less because we know from looking at gambling in general that it impacts the poor and the vulnerable the most. But in uh, a lot of people who don't have these vulnerabilities are initially attracted to something like an innovation like sports betting or internet gambling. Uh, but at the same time, kids get into that because they're very computer literate. And uh, what you're starting to see, at least in the illegal market for gaming and betting on, on sports, is that um, marketing uh, by illegal providers uh, and gaming operators who are blurring the lines between gambling and gaming, uh, the marketing is is targeting young people. And this is, once you get people uh, introduced, it is a lucrative source of, of profit. So uh, loot boxes in, in uh, built into games 
don't differ too much from gambling in that kids are being introduced to this idea of the excitement of uh, of uh, winning something for nothing when a reward is provided and ex- and a credit is given to buy some other virtual uh, 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 prize. And so uh, young people are being targeted through the internet. And we've seen this happening with alcohol and tobacco and and music and other things. Once uh, they get your profile, uh, they can target you with all kinds of messages. And we all get this in our uh, our activities on the internet. And that kind of thing is different, difficult to control. Are different forms of gambling more addictive than others? Yeah, definitely. So um, as a general rule of thumb, the the uh, electronic uh, gambling machines, uh, particularly the ones with all the bells and whistles and and um, uh, frequent payouts that are very small uh, uh, with a lot of other uh, uh, kinds of uh, psychological tricks to keep people engaged uh, in the game itself for a long period of time. Uh, They tend to be the ones associated most with pathological gambling. The ones that seem to be uh, associated least, but still can be problematic, are lotteries and games like bingo and things like that, where there are small payouts and uh, 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 people uh, don't necessarily uh, uh, receive encouragement to uh, play the game for a long period of time. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Tom Babor. He is an addiction researcher and professor in the Yukon School of Medicine's Department of Public Health Sciences. One of the arguments for sports betting and online gaming is that, well, other states are, are doing it, so Connecticut has to get on board or it's going to miss out. Is it too early to know the effects in, in other states, in other jurisdictions where this is already legal? It is definitively because uh, we just don't have uh, enough uh, research that's done because this is a new phenomenon. But we know that when you increase the opportunities uh, for people to gamble, increase its convenience, and uh, provide access to high-risk uh, and potentially addictive games uh, that you will increase the amount of money that people lose and you will provide a situation where pathological gambling can develop over a period of time, which is a convergence of psychiatric symptoms and behaviors which uh, make it difficult for people to control their behavior, in this case, gambling behavior. We talked recently with the chairman of the Mashantucket Pequot tribe, and, and he said that electronic gaming is is safer for people who might develop an addiction because the operators of the games know how to spot it based on, you know, the activity online of, of individual people. How would you respond to that? 
Well, there are some things that have been uh, adopted by uh, the gambling industry to uh, try to minimize these catastrophic uh, 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 trends uh, or catastrophic impacts on individuals when they uh, become addicted and lose uh, their their livelihood and and ruin their families and so forth. So uh, there can be uh, mechanisms put into place uh, in casino gambling uh, uh, types of organizations where uh, people can be monitored, uh, their access to credit can be limited, uh, they can be issued warnings, and uh, so we do have some examples through the research that has been conducted that show that certain types of interventions and regulations can limit the damage. But the one thing to remember is that once somebody starts spiraling out of control, it's tough to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once somebody develops a gambling addiction, uh, once they lose uh, all of their life savings and uh, borrow money from friends or steal it from employers, uh, they've ruined their lives and uh, uh, affected, on average, the lives of five or six other people around them. And when that happens, it's almost too late to... Uh, to take advantage of some of these restrictions because they don't necessarily prevent things. They capture somebody when they're spiraling out of control. Typically, when a new form of gaming or, or gambling is, is approved, there, there are provisions attached for providing help to people who, who have an addiction. When you hear the ads about you know gambling helplines and things like that, how effective are those? How many people recognize for themselves that they might have a problem and call those lines? Or is it something where the gambling provider is going to intervene instead? Yeah, there's a little bit of research on self-assessment uh, opportunities. People can take a screening test on pathological gambling and stuff like that. But um, that doesn't have much of an impact um, when um, the the uh, uh, casinos and and um, the state offer opportunities for people to access uh, diagnostic services and treatment, uh, they do uh, and helplines in particular, they do help uh, a significant number. Of people, but again, uh, it's almost too late at that point when somebody uh, is uh, uh, in bad enough shape to feel like they have to get help, um, and the help is often inadequate because uh, very there's there's not enough funding devoted uh, to treatment to keep up with the need, if not the demand. As lawmakers weigh gaming expansion in Connecticut, expanding into 
iGaming and sports betting, do you feel that concerns about problem gambling have been an appropriate part of the conversation in Connecticut? I don't think there has been enough consideration. And what we did in the book, Setting Limits, was to look at what is known about uh, the epidemiology of gambling problems. And it's not only the people who are affected, uh, the ones who are called problem gamblers, the ones who are called pathological gamblers, which is much more uh, serious. And um, it's the people around them. So rarely uh, are families and children taken into account when states uh, uh, try to uh, raise revenues by expanding gambling opportunities. I want to go back to the issue of, of taxation. There was a debate a couple of years back in Connecticut about expanding the, the sales tax to cover more items, specifically at, at the grocery store, and that was shelved because it was criticized as a, a regressive tax. Would you say gambling when there's tax applied, is that more regressive or less regressive than say a sales tax on groceries? Yeah, one of the main conclusions from our review of research conducted in many different countries around the world is that uh, gambling is particularly legal gambling is a way of taxing the poor. Uh, it the burden falls disproportionately on people of uh, low income, people who are vulnerable psychologically uh, and uh, uh, have uh, marginal uh, incomes which uh, they can't afford to lose and. So uh, most of the revenue that is being raised is, is coming from people who can least afford it. So in that respect, it is regressive. Have you seen that play out with the forms of gambling that have been legalized over the years in Connecticut? Uh, very little research has been done on Connecticut itself. Uh, in general, what we know uh, from studies in the U.S. and in other countries is that um, uh, problem gamblers uh, who uh, uh, somewhere around, you know, 40 or 50 percent of them uh, tend to be of lower income and, and uh, also have other uh, uh, issues with uh, uh, with their lives, uh, that those people uh, contribute a significant proportion uh, to gambling expenditures, some countries up to 40 or 50 percent. So what we're doing is taking income from those least capable or least able to afford it who have a variety of problems which eventually uh, need to be dealt with, health problems, psychiatric problems, substance abuse, suicide, unemployment. Uh, and uh, we are encouraging them 
to spend more of their income on on uh, activities which in the long run are not doing anybody any good. In our final minute, if someone hears this and recognizes that they have a, a problem, what's the best way to reach out for help? Well, helplines uh, are definitely uh, encouraged who can provide uh, a quick assessment of the uh, person's uh, problems and refer to them, refer them to appropriate treatments, some of which are very effective. He is Dr. Tom Babor, an addiction researcher and professor in the Yukon School of Medicine's Department of Public Health Sciences. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.